Welcome back to the Florida History Podcast. I'm Carter Krishnire. And I'm Robert Bucciolato. And today, Robert, we're going to talk about a subject you know really well, which is prohibition in the state of Florida. Yes, you're, you're an acclaimed yes, author on this subject. Well, um, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the wonderful uh, foreword that you wrote in the book. Uh, but uh, also, I think um, the, just uh, the interesting content of um, this period in uh, not only uh, state history, but American history is, um, you know, it's just rich with anecdotal history and a lot of compelling characters. Um, as you as you kind of alluded to uh, earlier this year, I published a book called Rum Runners and Moonshiners of Old Florida. And uh, this gentleman who is my, my co-host, he was uh, kind enough to write a, a very wonderful forward to it. And in it, we both kind of talk about the fact um, that it, it makes one shock shocked in this day and age to think that something that so many people were in favor of alcohol consumption could be forced into some kind of a prohibition and you you kind of when you you imagine prohibition you think of you know the first things that come to your mind gangsters and nightclubs speakeasies and stuff like that you don't really think about places like Florida per se you might think of Miami, you might think of Al Capone and the fact that he had a home here and the fact that he um, was actually in Florida when he orchestrated the uh, Valentine's Day Massacre but what a lot of the book is about is the people that were very poor, didn't have a whole lot of money, they made their own entertainment which involved making moonshine and, and, you know, liquor, cheap liquor and stuff like that. And then the federal government was telling them what to do. And essentially they got together and they did it anyway. They, they did it against what the, what the federal government wanted and then eventually what the state governments wanted. And in the process, they, um, they created what is now today this really interesting niche market of moonshine that is that's sort of taken off now in florida there's a um a moonshine uh trail where i think there's like 17 different stops where you can go and and do moonshine um but if you if you want to look at why something like Prohibition was so difficult to enforce in this state. All you have to do is look at how much coastline we have. We have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles of just coastline. And it was entirely impossible for them to patrol it, especially at the start of Prohibition, because there was almost no Coast Guard. And so um, you look at the first ships that did... um, radio that did sonar that did signals in the atlantic ocean that were all rum runners (laughs) they actually were able to communicate with one another they had rummy radio and uh, what they realized was was that if you go far out about five miles out into the atlantic the coast guard wasn't able to patrol they didn't have jurisdiction. 
So what they would do is they set up this sort of convoy of ships and and the cover of night, they would send one out and they would make a landfall. And if you were a poor person in you know, the panhandle of Florida or, you know, in in Fort Myers or something like that, you were only making about a dollar or two a week if you were lucky, if you had a, even had a job. And you could make about a hundred dollars in one hour by taking part in the clearing out of the cargo from these ships. And they would come in, they would go to these docks that were made especially for them that, um, you know, some of them still exist today and like Carabelle and things of that nature. And you could unload all of that precious cargo in about two or three minutes. And by the time the Fed came, they wouldn't have noticed anything. And then you look at the the whole process that involved once once the actual booze was in the state, there was a system of bootleggers that would have roots. They would get to liquor and then like milkman roots, like newspaper roots, they would go from each point and make their deliveries. The, the interesting thing about this is it's similar. We, we talked previously about the Civil War, and it's similar to the Civil War in that the blockade runners all found more success off the Florida coast because it's very difficult to patrol. It's very difficult to, to stop smuggling because of the vastness of the coastline and the vast wilderness in Florida at the time. Um, obviously, by the time uh, Prohibition rolls around, the southeastern corner of the state had been built up, but the rest of the state was still largely the peninsula of Florida, still largely empty, uh, that it became very hard to snuff things out and to patrol. And the legends of Prohibition and the development of the kind of subculture around Prohibition and gangsters, etc., on Miami Beach and in uh, places like Hollywood, Florida, and uh, 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 where I know uh, you hail from originally, and, and uh, um, Stiltsville, the legend of Stiltsville, all comes from that Prohibition era. Well, and, and also, too, um, we talk about Prohibition, we talk about the 1920s and the 1930s, but Florida is very unique in the fact that we had a extended period that was known as the dry period, where a lot of counties were not wet. You could not get liquor there, but you could get liquor in other neighboring counties. So there was still hot business for moonshiners and bootleggers up until pretty much the 1980s when liquor stores became dominant. That was what finally killed the moonshiner was... And the number of dry counties in Florida also. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting when you look at the number of arrests and the number of stills being destroyed um, in the 1950s and 60s. I think they were triple what was happening in the 1920s. You look at, and, and I keep coming back to this, it was the economic situation of this area that made it be, it made it so attractive to not only either be a moonshiner or a bootlegger, but to indulge in it because 
there was just no money. There was no money for entertainment. There was no money that you could make, uh, you know, as an as an honest laborer. But you could be a bootlegger. You could, you know, you you didn't have any town centers near you, but you could have a, you know, a drink party with all of your neighbors. As soon as you'd move into a neighborhood, all you would do is go up to somebody and be like, where's the party at? Where, where's the bring your own party? And they would have, um, they would have symbols, they would have uh, little badges, um, or, you know, uh, they would have code words, all of these things just to show that you could gain entry, that you were one of the club. And that was, that was all over the place. Robert, uh, speak a little bit to the rugged individualism of this state and, and the panhandle, which you've uh, studied extensively, uh, because I think that has a lot to do with why uh, prohibition was a controversial thing all over the, the country. And it might surprise people who are into the kind of modern uh, political diatri- uh, uh, modern t- political polarization of conservatives versus liberals that there were a lot of people we would consider conservatives who supported prohibition. There were a lot of people we would consider liberals today that supported prohibition. And same thing with the wet faction, the, the anti-prohibition people. A lot were conservatives. A lot were liberals. Much of it was uh, around ethnicity, and, you know, whether you were Catholic or Protestant, etc. But Florida always has had an individualism, and I think we're going to get into this. Uh, when we talk about the Seminole Wars next week. Uh, speak a little bit to that, because I know you've done a lot of research on that. Well, you know, first off, there's always been sort of a, and we, and we talked a little bit about this in other shows, but there's always been a slight chip on the Floridian shoulder about the federal government. And um, a lot of that, I think, has to do with the fact that we are Southern. A lot of it has to do with the fact that we are, um, or were for quite a long time, agrarian. I think a lot of it has to do with our legacy for tourism. We attract a lot of different people from a lot of different areas, and we seem to attract a certain type of person from a lot of different areas. Um, but even, even today, as well as back then, Florida was a place where you could go and you could reinvent yourself. And so what happened, and you know, you see it even today where there are people that will come to Florida and they'll lie about whether they graduated college. You know, there was a woman that ran for the legislature a few years ago from a different state who lied about having college education. Um, you know, that would be unheard of in other states, but it's very common practice actually in Florida. Um, and what you what you see is you see people who they they like the fact that they can have a community that they can have a lifestyle that is entirely their own that is not regulated that is not mandated and um, you know it's just like any other part in the south however more than any other part of the south there's a lot of I, I guess you would say cracker yes farmer farmers there's a lot more sort of swarthy um, sharecroppers there's a lot more you know we were talking about smugglers you know the the rum runners was a continuation from 
the smuggler and from the pirate. It hasn't. It hasn't stopped. It's still going on now. It is. It's just been a mecca for people who wanted to do whatever they wanted to do, and they didn't want to be told what to do. And you know, I do lectures on this, and whenever I talk about the federal government and the fact that they, you know, that essentially they lost, they lost this war against very common, very humble people. You know, people get elated by that. You know, the you're talking about a lot of people that were um, not cooperating. Sheriffs, local sheriffs, local authorities that were not cooperating with the Fed because they weren't going to turn over their neighbors. There was one woman who was arrested by the Fed for selling um, moonshine. And she said that what she was actually selling people was her homemade crackers and cheese. That the moonshine was only there for people to drink afterwards. To, you know, just to get the cheese uh, smell out of their mouth. And she went up before a jury of her peers and she got off. Um, You know, really the only time that a bootlegger or a moonshiner ever went to prison was usually when um, one of their clients who was, you know, partaking too much and wasn't coming home, the wife would get disgruntled and call the law on them. Or, <laughs> or when, um, you know, a, a rival bootlegger, or one instance there was a, a town drunk who could no longer get moonshine on credit from these three moonshiners, so he turned them all in. You know, he was going from one moonshiner to the other to the other, and he'd run up all the credit until they said, all right, no more until you pay your bill, and he got him arrested. Um, it was, you know, it was a time period where this state was still really hurting, this region was still really hurting. Um, this was the time period where they refer, referred to the Civil War as the War of Northern Aggression. This was the time period where they felt very isolated from the rest of the world. But at the same time, there was this attraction, this glamour associated with the outlaw here. Just like in in many other places in this country, you know, they Al Capone would come to Florida and he would be worshipped by people yeah. um, you know he was treated like a celebrity the the governor Governor Carlton, Carlton we've talked about this before he had an order saying if you find him arrest him and remove him from the state and he would get traffic tickets all the time but they would never get reported because the traffic cop would just have him sign it and they would pocket it as a memento <laughs> we're going to leave it here, Robert, with this show. We are going to do a whole show. We've got this planned for sometime in the in the future uh, on Al Capone and Al Capone's ties to Florida. In fact, I think uh, many roasters may not know that he, he probably ended up spending more time in Florida than any other place, including Chicago. Uh, oh, Look all toll, and, and he, he he passed away when he finally. Uh, died. It was in Miami. So uh, he he was uh, intri- inextricably linked with this state. Uh, so we're going to leave it there. We're going to be back with another episode of the Florida History Podcast next week, and we're going to talk about the Seminole Wars then.